Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to the new MLS Multiplex podcast. I am your host, Topher Adams, site expert at O-Towns 11, our fan-sided Orlando City site. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to the first episode of our relaunch show last week. It's exciting to be back podcasting and sharing these MLS stories. Still no guests this week as we get things up and rolling for this show, but in segment two, I'll be going in-depth on the club I cover, Orlando City, Of course, before we get to that, let's jump into all the biggest stories from across Major League Soccer this week. The CONCACAF Champions League returned last week, and it was a mixed bag for the five MLS representatives. LAFC dominated down in Costa Rica against Ajaloense, and Orlando City earned a hard-fought draw in the pressure cooker of El Volcan against Tigres. The Vancouver Whitecaps surprised many with a dominant 5-1 victory over Real Espana and now look poised to advance to the next round. The Philadelphia Union played to an underwhelming 0-0 draw with Alianza and will need to take care of business at home next week in the return leg. By far the biggest loser for MLS in this tournament, though, was Austin FC. The third-year expansion club made its CCL debut in the Dominican Republic against Haitian side Violette, and they got humiliated. Playing in an amazingly CCL stadium with an enormous tree behind one of the goals, Austin fell 3-0 to the Haitians. The result was honestly flattering to an Austin team that got played off the pitch. Josh Wolf's crew might get bailed out, though, by CONCACAF's incompetence, as most of Violet's roster won't even be available to play in the second leg due to visa issues coming into the United States. Honestly, Mostly a successful round one or a match day one in CCL for MLS teams this year. Uh, we've seen better. We've seen worse, certainly. And I think getting a big win for LAFC in Costa Rica against Ajaloense, Orlando City getting the draw against Tigres, those two are significant enough results to kind of carry the load. But the Austin loss is probably the single worst defeat from any team that we've seen in CCL, at least in many, many years. Uh, man, it's kind of hard to explain how just how bad a performance that was from Austin. I, I, I don't think I hate, I, I think if I remember the stat correctly, a Haitian team has never won a game in this iteration of the tournament. I don't even know if they've scored a goal in this iteration of the tournament. So to get completely blown off the field by a team in Haiti is is... It's truly shocking, especially from an MLS team that we expect to contend for silverware this season. It's it's not what you expect. Uh, but on the flip side, I think the biggest surprise in the positive way for MLS was definitely Vancouver. They were perfect. They just ripped right through uh, their opponent uh, at the, uh, on a Thursday night, I believe. Maybe it was Wednesday night. I don't remember now off the top of my head. But Vancouver, really good performance all around. They play really attractive soccer. It's got to really just be a matter of whether they can turn that good soccer into wins and whether they can turn those good combinations in the midfield and those nice attacking ideas into consistent goal-dangerous areas. 
Because I know other people have pointed it out as well that, you know, for all the good stuff they do do, you know, they do have their issues. You know, creating width is a big issue for them. Finding the right combination in the final third, occupying the right spaces, supporting the striker in the box. They have their issues for all the good soccer that they do play. So it's going to be about finding balance for them. Good for them. They get to move on to the next round of CCL. Who knows? Maybe there'll be a, a, a little miracle run for them like the, the Montreal Impact back in the day. Um, still don't expect much for them long term, but good for them. And then, of course, the Union and Orlando have a chance to move through if they can get wins after nil-nil draws in their first round. Orlando would be a massive, massive upset, but we'll get more into that during the Orlando City segment and the later in the show. But Philly needs to take care of business. I fully expect them to. They played a heavily, heavily rotated side um, in, in match day one. I think two homegrown strikers. Like They'll be a much more formidable eleven in the second game, plus they'll be at home. So still expect them to go through. And then again, it would take disaster for LAFC to fall apart. And, you know, they are, they are a menace. Uh, quick LAFC talk. They beat Aja 3-0 in Costa Rica midweek. Dennis Buanga scores a hat trick. <laughs> I think last week I said I wanted to see a little bit more from him. Boy, oh boy, did the Gabonese international deliver this week. Hat trick in CONCACAF Champions League. Then two more goals against the New England Revolution in a 4-0 demolition. Uh, LAFC is on a whole different tier of everybody else in MLS right now. And, and they, they are a very scary team for, for everyone else in the league. There might be something about this St. Louis team. The expansion side traveled to the Rose City to face a decent Portland Timbers squad and walked away with an impressive 2-1 road win in front of the Timbers army. Soccer hasn't always been perfect, but St. Louis has now won its first three games of the season. Per OptaJack, 94.7% of teams that win their first three games make the MLS playoffs. There's a lot of season to go, but it's already a memorable start for the new boys in Missouri. You know, we talked a lot about St. Louis last week. Um, you know, they became just the fourth team to win their first two games as an expansion side. <laughs> they still haven't lost. They still haven't tied. Nine points from three games is insane for really any team regardless of expansion side reigning supporter shield contender cup favorites doesn't really matter that's extremely impressive early going i think it's fair to say these results have been weird and i don't know what to say about the competition charlotte certainly isn't a good win um but i think winning on the road in portland regardless of what portland looks like and portland certainly has had their fair share of struggles through three weeks i think that's an amazing win especially going to that environment. Um, I think for, for, for St. Louis, the biggest thing for them is to just keep building on this foundation. They clearly have a strong and well-defined tactical identity. They know what they want to do when they're playing the game. Bradley Carnell is an excellent coach. Both of their DPs, despite massive question marks coming into the season, look really good. Joao Klaus is an excellent, super technical, super physical striker. And then Eduard Leuven is one of the best box-to-box midfielders in the league, super technical. He's also massive, great player. You know, their intra-league signings like Jared Stroud, Tim Parker, all these guys look the best they've looked in years, really. And it's kind of impressive that they were able to put together such an impressive team with not much roster spend, not much, you know, clear, shiny additions. They didn't go the LAFC route and sign Carlos Vela or sign these $8 million South Americans. They just found guys. They found guys from their scouting network, guys on the cheap, guys they could afford, guys that fit the Red Bull-ish system that Carnell wants to run. And it's kind of the perfect mix. I mean, this is, 
extremely competently built roster and you know they'll, they're not going to win every game they win every single game they play this season and they're probably not supporter shield contenders or anything like that but you know playoff team sure absolutely home playoff game well i guess every team that makes <laughs> makes the playoffs will have at least one home playoff game but top four seed in the west you know who knows at this point I and mean, i think things are very open right now we don't really know who's good who's bad i think some of the teams we thought were good have gotten off the horrible starts especially the la galaxy um so you know what maybe st louis maybe this is you know, going to be one of the most memorable expansion seasons in history. Who knows? It's very, very impressive early going for them. Atlanta United and Charlotte FC faced off in a matinee showcase game Saturday, and the clubs paid tribute to the late Anton Walks before the match. Of course, the Anton Walks passed away this offseason. He played for both Atlanta and Charlotte in his MLS career. Um, lots of emotions before that one. And then the game itself was a very interesting matchup on the field. Atlanta dominated from the jump. Homegrown winger Caleb Wiley had a breakout performance while Tiago Almada ran the show through the middle. Wiley scored twice and had an assist in just the first half, and Atlanta cruised to a dominant 3-0 victory. While Atlanta showed flashes of its championship pass, Charlotte looked like a cellar-dweller mess, the one we expected to see last year. The defense got ripped apart in transition, and the attack is extremely dysfunctional with pieces seemingly in all the wrong spots. First, Atlanta... This is the style of soccer Atlanta is built to play, needs to play, and is good at playing. They can hit in the break. They have really talented technical players um, in their final third that when they're just playing fast and attacking, backpedaling defenses, they can be a menace. Uh, Luis Araujo had a goal in this game. He looked a lot better. Thiago Almada, again, is really, really good playing. You know, people have said he's the the real successor to Miguel Almiron. And this is kind of a game that showed that more than the screamer goals or anything like that, it's it's attacking at pace in transition and just ripping open the game when the other team's not settled. That's what Almiron was best at with Atlanta, and that's what Almada looked like in this game. He just, him and Araujo created so much gravity that it, it, it made Caleb Wiley's life on the left wing super easy. Two goals, very, very similar goals. You know, nobody around him. Easy finish. You know, he had an assist as well. Really good performance from Wiley. I've liked what I've seen from him uh, when he's played this season. I think Caleb Wiley's a good talent. Uh, he's played left back before, but he's he's a nominal winger. I think he's pretty technical for, for a teenager, pretty athletic for a teenager. Um, you know, Derek Etienne is probably still the starter on the left wing for Atlanta, but... You know, Caleb Wiley is going to perform like this. I, I, I don't. I think that's more of a maybe than a probably when it comes to Derek Etienne, which is that's only good things for Atlanta. You know, depth is hard to come by in Major League Soccer, and if you can manufacture it through homegrowns, that's the biggest X factor you can have in MLS roster building. Um, not much more to say about Atlanta. I'm much more fascinated by Charlotte, and I think I got into this last week as well. They are bad and maybe really bad maybe the worst team in the league type of bad and perhaps that's a bit much it's a bit extreme you know they have talented players i believe that a lot of people believe that but they have been arguably the most dysfunctional team on the field through three weeks and now they've lost their last two games by a combined score of six to one against Atlanta and St. Louis, and I don't think anybody expects either of those teams to be particularly elite 
I don't think anyone expects St. Louis or Atlanta to be shield cup contender type teams. Maybe they will be, but you know, I think it's one thing to be crushed by LAFC. It's another to be crushed by St. Louis and Atlanta and lots of questions going off for, for Charlotte. Um, you know, it's the structure and, and Matt Doyle went super in deep on this in his weekly column. Uh, and if you want a, a really, really nuts and bolts tactical breakdown of why this is so clunky and not working, I, I highly recommend you to go on MLSsoccer.com and read that. But in short, they're try, ask, trying. Uh, head coach Christian Latanzi was asking the players to do way too much, and they're asking the wrong players to do the wrong things. Carol Swiderski started his Charlotte career as a straight striker. And then became a really productive second striker, Hani Mukhtar, Sebastian Driussi type of player. That's where he's at his best. He's played basically the entire season on the right wing, just whipping in crosses with his left foot. I don't know why he's doing that. They don't have a left back playing left back, so they have no width on the left because Shinyashiki's playing on the left wing, and he's really more of a striker. He's getting into the box and those kind of goal scoring areas. And now that I say that, I actually think Shinichiki's been playing as like the nominal second striker, which I have no idea. This team's really, really weird. I don't understand why it's being done the way it's being done. And then their defense is really struggling at the back. Lots of mistakes. Lots of poor marking. Lots of easy goals given up. I don't really know how to explain what's wrong with Charlotte. Um... In, in a five-minute podcast hit, I, I just hope for their sake that the ship turns fast. I, I believe in Latanzio. I like that market. I'm glad that the fans have embraced that market. And I think they deserve something a lot better than this. And I think they've built something that's at least a bit better than this. Um, I still think three games is too small of a sample size that really hit the panic button or start sounding the alarms. But, you know, these next two weeks are going to go a big, big way. And, and it's kind of determining what season this will be for Charlotte in year two for them. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Each week on this show, I'll try and highlight a specific club or a specific storyline from around the league. While we still wait for a guest, today we're going to discuss the team I cover, Orlando City. The Lions are unbeaten this season. They beat the New York Red Bulls on opening day and have drawn their last three games in all competitions. Last week, Orlando started its CONCACAF Champions League campaign with an impressive 0-0 draw against Tigres in Mexico. And they have a chance to pull off an historic upset this week at Exploria Stadium and what is expected to be a close to pretty full house. So Orlando City this year, lots of expectations because of a big offseason. A lot of new faces came into the club. A lot of familiar faces departed. Um, it starts with the top signings. Martin Ojeda arrived as a designated player from Argentina. He was one of the most productive offensive players in the Argentine First Division the last two seasons. The club also signed Ramiro Enrique, a U-22 initiative uh, striker 
from Argentina as well. They brought in Dagger Don Torhalsen, who is an Icelandic young young Icelandic international midfielder from the Icelandic league. Uh, they brought in who am I missing? Who am I missing? They oh they attacked the draft aggressively. They traded traded away longtime starting right back Juan for the number two pick to select Shaq Muhammad from Duke. They got Duncan McGuire from Creighton, who's the reigning Mac Herman Trophy winner for the best given to the best player in college soccer. Um, young homegrowns have come through the system. I'm probably missing more because there's a ton of transfer business from this team this past offseason. And all of this was done in service of taking Orlando to the next level. Um, you can go back and read stuff I wrote last season about how 2022 was the best year in Orlando City history thus far. The team made the playoffs for, I believe, the third straight season. Um, and, you know, if you if you go back to the early days of this team in MLS, that, that by itself is an accomplishment to me. And then, of course, they won the U.S. Open Cup, their first ever trophy, first ever chance to play in Champions League. Um, that's such a historic achievement. I mean, not many teams are able to win trophies. There's only so many each season. So being able to actually hoist a piece of silverware was such a such a surreal moment um, for Orlando City and for the fans who have followed this team through through a lot of difficult times in in its in its MLS MLS history. Um, so you combined that a really good 2022 season with all of these offseason additions, and you have a coaching staff and a front office led by head coach Oscar Pereja, general manager Luis Muzi. They have tons of MLS experience, tons of success, tons of respect, both in the locker room and around the league. You combine all those things, the players, the coaches, the success from last year, and this is the year for Orlando to go from a good Eastern Conference team, a good MLS team, to one of the best Eastern Conference teams, one of the best MLS teams, a real cup contender, a potential shield contender, a team that's capable of winning a few games in CCL, maybe making a deep run into League's Cup. That's the goal for this season. Um, So where does that stand? We're now uh, four games into the year, three games into MLS play. Um, And let's start, let's just start in MLS. Beat the New York Red Bulls 1-0 opening day. 0-0 draw, FC Cincinnati week two. Week three, 1-1 draw against DC United on the road. I think all three of these performances were kind of disappointing and underwhelming. I, I I think it's fair to say Orlando was outplayed in all three of these games. Um, I know game-to-game expected goals can be a bit finicky and maybe not the most worthwhile statistic in the world, but I think if you look at those, you can see a clear story of Orlando getting outplayed by three teams and... I think that's fine. I think New York is one of the best teams in the league. I think Cincinnati is one of the best teams in the league. But I think you want more from a team three games in the season. They've only scored one goal through open play uh, in MLS. They, 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 uh, the draw with uh, DC was a bit frustrating, but given the circumstances of, of CCL in the midweek, you can kind of understand it. And I think that's actually an interesting avenue to go down for a little bit is, is how... Oscar Pereja is balancing CCL and MLS and really prioritizing Champions League. And I think that's a great decision. I think, you know, you never know when you'll be back 
in the Champions League, when you'll have the opportunity to compete for a continental trophy, when you'll have the opportunity to play meaningful competitive matches against the best teams in North America. And I think you might as well just say, screw it, let's go all in, chips in the table, put MLS on the back burner for a while. I mean, there's nine teams make the playoffs. You know, you know what I mean? You don't need a great start in the league to be a, to, to, to raise MLS Cup at the end of the season. So I think going all in on CCL right now, which he's clearly doing based on how he's managed the lineups and the rotations through three MLS games, um, I think that's a great call. And, you know, they earned a nil-nil draw in, against Tigres on the road. They have a chance to win in advance uh, this Wednesday at Explorer Stadium, a game I, I'm fortunate to be able to, to cover in person. Very excited for that. Um, yeah, I, I think this team's very focused on CCL, and I think that's taking a hit on the MLS form a bit. But I also think at the same time, being able to, you know, four points through three games is still fine. That's perfectly fine. It's not like they're 0-3, no goal scored or anything like that. I, I think it's okay to have mediocre but still pretty good form in MLS at the expense of you know, giving your all in CCL. I think that's a very worthwhile trade-off. And I, I think any fan who's, you know, in the know of what really matters in soccer would agree with that take. So kind of more micro sense on the field things, the biggest gripes fans are having right now and the biggest conversations around this team right now are all centered around the offense and the lack of chances and the lack of goals. You know, as I mentioned, just one open play goal in MLS, really, and nil-nil draw in Tigres, it's one open play goal through four games this season. Two goals total if you count Facundo Torres' penalty against the Red Bulls. Um, and I, it's tough to say where, where that comes from. I, I, think, I think it's a bit overreacted. It's a bit of an overreaction and a bit panicky to think of that as a larger scale issue I think it's a much it's not really an issue honestly because the thing with Oscar Pereja teams is that they always get off to slow ugly starts I have been watching Orlando I think I've watched basically every Orlando City game minus a couple since Oscar Pereja took over uh in 2020 and every single start to the season it's not fun to watch they play ugly soccer they play gritty soccer. They don't really have their attack figured out. You know, it's it's a slow, pragmatic start to the year. And that's just how it is under for Pareja teams, and that's fine. They get results, you know, they grind out performances. But it's not impressive. It's not sexy. It's not attractive. It's not LAFC. It's not, you know, it's not the union last year. You know, it's not the peak of soccer in MLS, but... It's largely effective, and it, and over the course of the season, excuse me, it builds into something much more sustainably good, or at least you hope so. Last year, that really didn't come. Last year, it kind of looked like this most of the year, minus a few games here and there. The offense was one of the worst in MLS. I believe they were like 27th in the league in expected goals um, That you know around that range, which is about as bad as you can do. Um, so they definitely need more chance creation and better performance from their non-Facundo Torres offensive players. Um, but of course, that's why they signed Ojeda and why they signed uh, Ramiro Enrique and why they saw, or run up, went out and drafted Duncan McGuire and Shaq Muhammad 
they know this is an issue and they address that issue and now it's just getting those pieces to work and making all the best pieces play together. And I think especially after Champions League, we'll start to see that more because we'll see more of Torres and Ojeda and Mauricio Pereira and Urchin Cara and, you know, all the guys playing at the same time because right now it's been really chop change, chop change to kind of get the best lineups fit and ready for CONCACAF. That way we're not seeing all these guys play 70 minutes together in an MLS game. It also it doesn't help, I think it's fair to say. They played the Red Bulls and they played FC Cincinnati in week one and two. Those are tough teams to play against. So, you know, maybe maybe once they get to play the Chicago Fires of the world and, you know, some of these weaker defensive teams, that'll give them the space to kind of build an offensive rhythm and some form. I've mentioned the strikers a lot, and that's probably the biggest question for Orlando City really the last two seasons as far as any particular positional battles go. And here's where things stand right now. There's three main strikers on the roster, on the first team roster, challenging for real minutes. At top, Urchin Kara, Austrian designated player. They brought him in last season from his home country. He scored double-digit goals last year, but a lot of people aren't super impressed with him. He's not super fast. He's not super explosive. Um, his hold-up play has been underwhelming, but his finishing is fine. It's it's solid. His underlying numbers are pretty good. Um, I I still hold a ton of stock in Kara. I think I've written like six articles over the course of the last year documenting how I still think Kara is a very good player. I think his underlying stats are... They're, impre- they're good, and they're also troublesome depending on what you're looking at. Because um, I think his finishing rate, for example, very good. He's a good, productive, efficient finisher. The problem was he didn't have a lot of shots. However, that's not for me, that's not necessarily a him problem. That's a Orlando doesn't create high-level chances for a striker problem. At least last year that was the case. So for me, my thinking is that the more he gets to play with Facundo Torres and Martin Ojeda and Michael Halliday, and Luca Petrasso, and Mauricio Pereira, the more he gets to play with these talented attacking players around him, the more chances Cara will get to be that in-the-box goal-scoring presence. Then you have Ramiro Enrique, the young Argentine forward. A lot of fans are already really high on him. He's just such a different player than Cara. He's very good as a dribbler. He's very athletic. He's very aggressive. We haven't really seen him get into many goal-scoring areas. We haven't really seen his finishing boots Um, As an Orlando City player so far, but still very young, very early days. He's a very promising prospect. And whatever happens with the playing rotation in terms of if Enrique becomes a starter, if Cara's the starter, whatever, Enrique's always going to be a good change of pace guy off the bench at the very least just because of his dynamism, his pace, and his ability to take players on with the ball, which is such a unique uh, weapon amongst these strikers. And then the third name to know is Duncan McGuire. A rookie out of Creighton. As I said, he's the reigning Mac Herman Trophy winner. Best player in college soccer. Uh, he scored. He's the first of these three guys to score this season. He scored a, a little tap-in against DC United on Saturday. And he, he's gotten a lot of hype. Uh, Matt Doyle, again, <laughs> he's the top voice in this space. I'm going to reference him a lot. Uh, he's been super-duper high on McGuire since the preseason, and I completely understand why. You know, the young guy from Nebraska... He moves really hard. He's a super hard runner. He's always working hard in the press. He's always working off ball to get into the box, get into dangerous areas, to challenge the center backs off the ball. And that's just a weapon 
that Orlando hasn't had with Kara this season. Maguire's similarly built. They're both big, like six-foot-something guys, very strong. But Maguire's running harder. Maguire's touch honestly looks better right now in this season. And, you know, he's making the off-ball runs and getting into the goal-dangerous areas and creating offense the way that Kara hasn't, and really Enrique hasn't either. Although I, I think Enrique just hasn't had the opportunity to show it as much as Maguire got to show against DC United. So... When it comes to who should start, who should bench, I still want to see Kara get more time. I'm not going to bench Kara full-time until 10 games into the season. If by game 10 in MLS play, Urchin Kara looks like a lost cause, then make him a reserve, kick that can down the road, see what happens with roster build, and go all-in on Enrique and McGuire. But you have too much invested in Kara, and I still think he's too talented a finisher and a potential goal scorer that you need to give him more of a runway, especially early in the season. He had, he also had a difficult off season for personal reasons as well. Give him time to settle in, give him time to fit with the new players and build that chemistry to build his fitness, to build his form. And then by week, you know, week 10, week 11, then we can start to have the urchin car question. And then for the young guys, I love what I've seen from Duncan McGuire. I really enjoy what I've seen from Ramiro Enrique. I think this is a group of strength for Orlando. And it's really just going to be about these three guys building chemistry with the other creative attacking players. That'll lead to more goals for Orlando. The defense has been the story for Orlando this season through four games. They've allowed one goal in four games, um, which is insane. Uh, it's like over a 300-minute scoreless streak, which I don't know if that's the best in the league, but it's got to be close. Uh, and that's also counting an extra game in CONCACAF, so forget what I said there. <laughs> um, Pedro Galese in goal, I've been critical of him for a while. I think his underlying stats are not nearly as impressive as his name and his resume, but he has been otherworldly through four games this season. You know, I mentioned expected goals aren't always the most useful stat on small sample sizes, but... He's already saved one and a half goals better than expected, according to post-shot expected goals on football reference. So, you know, that just kind of backs up what the eye test is telling you. And what the eye test is telling you is that he is stealing goals from other teams. You know, I said we're shouting on Orlando's defense in this little bit. And the defense has been fine, but they've given up chances. Chances have been there for these other teams to get in on goal and to, to break through. But Galese just hasn't let them. He has made... Highlight save after highlight save, you know, routine play after routine play. He's been a brick wall. You know, <laughs> I make a lot of jokes about his ball handling and his ball security, his inability to kind of just catch balls and control his rebounds. But at the end of the day, the most important stat for a goalkeeper is stopping the ball from going into the back of the net. And El Pulpo has been one of the best shot stoppers on the continent for the last four games. And Orlando has needed every one of his big saves while they figure out the offense in front of them. So to close out here, let's just talk a little bit about the expectations the rest of the way for Orlando. Uh, you know, this game tomorrow, uh, I'm recruiting this on Tuesday, this game tomorrow against T-Grace is huge for them. That'll set the tone for the whole year. If they can beat T-Grace and CCL and maybe go on a run, you know, they'll probably, even if they beat T-Grace, they'll have to play Pachuca in the next round. So who knows what that looks like. But to have that as a way to start the year is such a monumental start. And then, as I mentioned, this is a team that wants to compete for MLS Cup. This is a team that wants to compete 
you know, for the League's Cup and the Supporter Shield. And I think if these pieces can start to gel together, which we'll see, who knows? I think it takes Oscar Pereira teams a while to gel anyway to begin with. If these pieces can gel together, this is a real cup contender. This is one of the best teams in the league. They are almost a shoe-in for the playoffs unless things go very awry very fast. And I, I think this is certainly a team to watch in MLS this season. Thank you all for listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a review and share on social media. Be sure to check out O-Towns 11, MLS Multiplex, and all the fan-sided MLS sites for more MLS coverage. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow on Twitter at Topher underscore Adams. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week with more of the MLS Multiplex podcast. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.